Hello, my friends, and welcome to another sermon here at Paul White Ministries. It is such a privilege to greet you on the day this airs, Christmas Day 2022. And I want to be, um, hopefully, not the first person to say Merry Christmas to you, but I definitely don't want to miss the opportunity to wish you an extremely pleasurable and exciting and fulfilling holiday uh, that rotates around Family, friends, love, giving, yes, all of those things. But of course, we as Christians know that it's really about the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate the arrival of God on the earth in human form in that little baby Jesus. And what Jesus goes on to do becomes the foundation of all of our faith and our experience in God. I come to you today from my office in Flowery Branch, Georgia. I'm shooting this just a few days before Christmas. Uh, I got the sunlight coming through the windows here. Uh, I'm just uh, just recovering um, from a, a mild little bug. Um, I don't know if it was flu or COVID or just a pretty severe cold. I didn't test. I just stayed in the house and and got through it. It was about 48 hours. Um, it could have been a lot worse, but it was enough to sort of knock me out for a couple of days. And it cost us a midweek Bible study. We, we always meet on Tuesday nights. We were not able to do that this week. And I was the, I was the culprit. Um, I was just too fatigued to make it happen. So apologies to those who, who, um, depend on that Wednesday service. Um, it, it was very hard for me to not have it, but I, it would have been, I think, even harder for me to have had the service. So I appreciate your patience and your prayers. For those of you that did know and were saying a prayer for us, uh, we appreciate that. Um, this message for you today has been on my heart for a while. Um, I, I wanted to address you personally as much as possible. I know I can't individually address all of you personally, but rather than to air for you, I've got sermons in the uh, in the backup uh, on the on deck that will be coming at you in a few weeks, but I, I wanted to step in and do one um, that was a little more personal, a little more Christmas themed, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is I have a thought that I'd like to share. Uh, we're going to minister today on the gift and the giver. I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel here. Um, it's Christmas. I'm going to read for you a portion of the Christmas story, but I want this to be the kind of message that. Uh, weeks later, months later, uh, if it's not Christmas when you get around to this, because not everybody's on the same pace of when they listen to these things, that it'll say something to you that's not just rotating around the Christmas idea. And so uh, we're going to get into that in a moment because I want to deal with the advents of Christ and use the allegory of the wise men and their gifts as a uh, the, the story of the wise men, their gifts as an allegory in a way. Um, but also I was excited about it because I like to greet you right here at the end of the year. Uh, my plan is to do this again next week at the beginning of the year with a word that really kicks off the year and let you know some of the things. I got some exciting things to do in the new year. We're going to tell you about those next week. Um, but for but for today is to just thank you. I want to start by saying thank you to my friends and my supporters and my partners. Uh, we will enter 30 years of ministry next year. I'll talk about that a little more next week. But one of the things about having three decades under our belt is not only have we preached a lot of sermons, traveled a lot of miles, done a lot of things, we've made a lot of friends. 
and we've made a lot of contacts that have become a part of our lives. And every day people give into this ministry with their prayer and their their uplifting messages of support. And many give into it financially and they make it possible for us to do what we do on a full-time basis. My wife and I spend our lives running this, this ministry and making sure that we have content out, things for people to grow on be blessed by, be challenged with, and it's our our life. And you make it possible, and 30 years of building friends and, and partners make it possible. It's why I feel so bad when I don't put something up like last Wednesday. I know people depend on it, and they support us for the reason that we're going to put things out. And so, uh, but I know you understand. I'm not going back over that. I just, I, I want you to know that I'm not, I don't take it lightly, the role that I've been given, the call that I've been given. I don't take it lightly that you support us, and I appreciate it, and I, I'm going to do all that I can to continue to, to bring to you the fresh bread that, I'm, that I am having revealed to me by the Spirit. Well, that's my commitment to you, and uh, I, I will... Uh, ask for your continued support and your prayers as we move forward. And next week when we talk about the new year and I'll have a word for you for the new year, I'm not saying I've got some prophetic word that, you know, God wants you to know for the new year, but I do have some warning. I do have uh, something I'd like to talk to you about next week. Uh, and, and I will make a little bit of an appeal for you to help us in the new year if you never have. And I hope you'll pray about what it is that you can do, even if it's just a little bitty bit. There are so many of you out there Um, that even if it was just a little bitty bit, it would make an enormous difference if every single person did that. I will. I mean, it would, it would change the dynamics of how we're able to do what we're do. But, um, I leave that with you and the Holy spirit. All right. I want to get right into it from this point on. Let's get going with this word called the gift and the giver. Let me tell you why I'm titling it this, um, the wise men show up to give gifts to Jesus. That's the story I want to read from in just a moment. But I, I want to I, I want to lay out the reasons for the title being this that Jesus is both the gift to the earth and he's the giver of all good things. James said that all good things come down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So if it's good, I like to say it this way, if it's good, it's God. There's no other explanation. If it's good, it's God, because he's the father of all good things. So if it's good, it's God. If it's God, it's a gift, because he doesn't make you pay for things. That's grace. So if it's good, it's God. If it's God, it's a gift. He is the gift, Jesus. He is the giver, God, the giver of Jesus, the giver of God's grace. He's both the gift and he's the giver. Now, I want to look at a story from Matthew chapter 2, and I want to read, it's a little unusual for me to read 12 verses in a row, but I want to do it because this is the nativity. This is Christmas. This is the story of the visit of the wise men. And then we're going to use their gifts uh, as an allegory for something else. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, 
Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage or homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the most famous of the gift-giving moments in the nativity story. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Only Matthew tells this most fascinating story of these pagan, most likely kings from the Orient, uh, most likely Zoroastrian um, astrologers who were reading the stars, looking for portents, looking for signs, and lo and behold, God gave them one. So don't ever tell people that they cannot find God through their machinery, their performances, through their religions, through their ideas, and you try to pigeonhole it and go, well, God's only going to show you this through this, through our way, through our doctrine, through our songs. The story of the wise men is early New Testament proof that we don't know what we're talking about when we say people can only find God in certain ways. We ought to be we ought to debunk that idea immediately because there's no way in conventional terms that the Magi should have heard from God. And yet they do. And they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Matthew, again, the only one that tells this story and why that might be interesting is because Matthew is presenting Jesus as king of the Jews. This is why he opens his book with a genealogy. Because he's trying to present that the king, the Davidic king, has come. His letter, more than any of the other gospels, well, it's not a letter, actually. It's more of a biographical sketch, but it's a presentation of good news. His gospel, more than any of the other three other gospels, Mark, Luke, or John, is the presentation of Jesus to Israel as king. This is why his eschatology focuses more on Israel than any of the other three gospels. Um, And thus, the presentation is king. And so as presenting Jesus as king, we get the, the story of Jesus told involving the other kings of the earth. It presents, it subliminally presents Jesus as the kingmaker. He's the one to whom all the other kings come to bow. And so the Magi bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and ancient church understanding of these three gifts were that they symbolized Christ's identity. And I want to put them up. This is just 
20 centuries of the church's understanding, preaching, teaching, writing, and scholarship on these three gifts. Christ's identity symbolized in gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold representing the royalty of Christ. Frankincense representing the divinity of Christ. And myrrh representing the humanity of Christ. Now, I'll save it for other sermons and other scholars uh, to talk about why each of those represent that. But I did want to put that up because that is a, uh, a pretty common understanding, a pretty orthodox and widespread understanding of those gifts. And so we could spend some time, I'm not going to do that, but we could spend some time on this trifold identity of Jesus and how he's the king and how he's also divine. He's God. He's not just a king, but he's a God king. But he's a human God king, and this is the great trinity of his identity. You'll, you're going to see the three, you see three pop up over and over in the Bible um, as markers of identity. And of course, the most common is the trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But just as the phrase trinity never occurs in the Bible, um, we, or uh, I said that wrong, the phrase trinity never occurs in the Bible, but yet Trinity is a big part of the biblical narrative. This idea of three, um, whether it's body, soul, and spirit, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, or in this case, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because there are three gifts, we have made the assumption over the years that there were three kings, like the famous song, We Three Kings. Um, there, there is a tradition of who they were and what their names were, but we don't have that from biblical scholarship. Uh, we've assumed there are three kings because there are three gifts. We'll leave that alone and just focus on the fact that we know there were three gifts and that the three means something in the biblical story. If God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the biblical Godhead, are understood to be the fullness of who God is in all of his ways and all of his expressions, then the three gifts given to Jesus could be allegories for the giver himself and the three expressions of the giver himself on the earth. We just came out of Advent season, and Advent is where we celebrate for about four weeks, and some scholarship says it should be longer based upon the calendar, but for purposes of our studies, we've spent four weeks on our podcast uh, dealing with Advent and looking at the world in the dark, anticipating the arrival of the light, uh, realizing that that is bigger than us, that it's not just something looking back into the past. That is something that helps us in our ever-present darkness, our ever-present struggle and our strife so that we can reach into our heritage, our root system as Christians, and see that our Advent season is to prepare us for all seasons of darkness, for seasons of waiting to make us a patient people, that God isn't done, that even though we don't have an explanation for why God doesn't move quickly or why God doesn't answer us when we want Him to, we still know that God is working. That's part of what Advent is all about. When Christ actually arrives, when that baby cries in the manger, by the way, I don't think it was a silent night. All is calm, all is bright. Um, that the, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I don't believe that. He's human. Human babies cry. I think he screamed his little lungs out. 
Uh, but I, I mean, I get the I get the sentiment that he's he's so sweet and precious he doesn't even cry. But that doesn't make him much of a human baby. Um, I think there was a lost night of sleep uh, many times along the way, just as there been for every other parent. Um, and but that's I don't know why I wanted to throw that in. I, got, I had that on my mind this week and thought that would I just it came back. So there it is. Um, when that little baby cries, that's the advent. That's the first advent of Jesus. There's the arrival of God. As John would say, the word became flesh and tabernacled, tented, dwelled, lived among us. Um, the, the advent of Christ is the Jesus appearance, Yeshua on the earth. The Savior has arrived. The Messiah is here. Church uh, church orthodoxy teaches that there is a first advent and a second advent, that the first advent of Jesus is the arrival of Christ in the manger, that the life of Jesus as displayed in the gospels, culminating in passion weekend, the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection of our Lord, and then the ascension of Jesus where he sits at the right hand of the father and ever lives to make intercession for us. I'm using scriptures, as you know, these are the descriptions we have of Jesus and where he is now. And then church Orthodox teaches there'll be a second advent. This will be when Jesus comes back physically um, in his return. Some people then take that to be um, an event that happened in the past that won't happen again, say at AD 70. Some people take that to be an event that happened in the past and will happen again. Some people take that to be an event that will happen at multiple stages in the future, that he will come back, take his church away, then come back again um, and fight the devil and the powers that be. Some people take that to be that Jesus will ultimately come back physically one more time after he came physically the first time, and that just as he was here in the natural body the first time, he'll be here in a supernatural body the second time. I guess my point in that is, as you can see, I've already given you five or six or seven different ideas about the way the church feels about a second advent. Every one of those I just told you is there are millions and millions of people who adhere to that particular version of the advent. Here's in the middle of all of that. Don't get lost in it and go, well, gosh. Who's right? I mean, is that one right? Is that one right? Instead, just realize this, or at least to me, this is what this is our common ground. We believe in us. We believe in the return of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you think that looks like, we believe that Jesus is coming back. And I would say it this way: whether you think that Jesus is coming back in the physical man, whether you think Jesus is going to take his church out first, whether you think Jesus is going to come back twice, whether you think Jesus came back, won't come back in the natural body again, you still pray, you still seek God, you still believe on him because he makes appearances in your life. And so I would say it this way, and I'm not, again, I'm not reinventing the wheel and I'm not trying to add or or shake up orthodoxy. I, I do believe very firmly that Jesus made a first appearance. I also believe very firmly that Jesus is making ongoing appearances. And I believe very firmly that Jesus will appear. Now, how you define all of that is up to you. But for purposes of this lesson, here's my thought process. Jesus appeared. Jesus is appearing. Jesus will appear. And I think it didn't take much for you to see three there. A gold, a frankincense, and a myrrh. The gift and the giver. The giver 
The gift is the giver. The giver brings the gift. And he keeps bringing the gift. The gift of himself over and over again. Jesus appeared. Jesus is appearing. Jesus will appear. As Jesus says in Revelation, he who was, he who is, and he who is to come. Now, how that looks, I'm open. How you think it looks, I hope you're open. But I think we would agree that he isn't finished. He finished the work for our salvation, but he isn't finished with us. He's not some great clockmaker who built the world's great clock of humanity, wound it up, set it on the shelf, and then walks away. He is actively involved in who we are. He appeared. He is appearing. He will appear. Let's do it this way. I, could, I, I think we can do it in three simple terms. If there was gold, frankincense, and myrrh, there was a first advent, an ongoing advent, and a second advent, or a final advent. There's a Jesus appeared, Jesus appears, Jesus will appear, and maybe it should come out this way. He justified us. He is sanctifying us. He will glorify us. Let's try it that way. When Jesus appeared, he appeared to justify humanity, to bring justice into our lives through his death on the cross and his resurrection. Jesus keeps making appearances in our lives for our sanctification, for our spiritual maturity, for our growth. Jesus will make an appearance to bring us into the fullness of glorification. Let's start with the first one. Now, I want to just tell you this, and, and as you probably have already took a, taken a look at the amount of time of this video, it's shorter than our normal video. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to hog up your entire Christmas day, but I wanted to give you something that's worthwhile. At the same time, I want you to know that this is in no way exhaustive. You can do a lot of work on justification, sanctification, glorification that we're not going to do here today. But I do want to give you one text for each so that you have something to chew on in regards to these advents of Jesus. Let's start with justification. In his first advent, Jesus justified us. Paul says it this way in his letter to the Romans in chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. So what Jesus did at the cross proves in the present time that he justified us. And I want you to note as we, at the, the way that text started is that all have sinned and they're now justified by his grace. So the all-encompassing sin that damaged the human family has been trumped by the grace of God and the act of justification that Jesus gave in his first advent. That's great news. So now what happens? Well, now we have ongoing appearances of Jesus. You had an appearance of Jesus. That's why you're saved. Now, you might not have seen him like Paul did on the road to Damascus, but you had a faith encounter. You had a reason to believe in him. 
People have fantastic stories, personal testimonies of seeing Jesus. I don't argue with people when they say they had a testimony, they have a testimony of Jesus or how they met Jesus. I say to each his own. Let I don't tell God how he reveals himself to people. I just rejoice with them that they had a testimony of who Jesus is. There's a lot of things you could say about sanctification. The book of Hebrews indicates that we are already sanctified in Christ. Some translations say he is sanctifying us. But whatever you call sanctification, I think it's growth. And that's why we need appearances of Jesus. Peter said it this way in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in grace and grow in knowledge is the process of sanctification. I'm not talking about God's making you more holy. I'm talking about your growing up. You're growing up in the grace of who God is and the knowledge of who God is and what he thinks of you. That is an ongoing thing. That is the recurrence of Jesus' appearances. He is appearing and I'm growing. If you're not changing your mind, you're not growing. I would also say if you're not changing your mind, you have stopped having Jesus' appearances. He appears so that we will repent, change our mind, grow in grace. And finally, Jesus will appear. There's more. There has to be more. Let me show you why. Romans chapter 8. Well, I mean, even if I didn't have scripture, you'd know there has to be more because there's still things that could improve. There's still things that could be better. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Look, I don't know exactly what Paul was meaning, but I know what it sounds like. And it sounds like stuff around me is going wrong. Suffering is tough. It's rough. But I have a feeling that it's nothing compared to how good he's going to make it in my glorification. I also know that what is not yet showing up on my timeline has been accomplished on God's timeline. Listen to the same chapter, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that's a fascinating text because we look at glorification as when we get a body that looks like Jesus's. And yet in Romans 8, Paul says, God's already considered you glorified. How in the same chapter did he say, someday there's going to be a glory revealed to me and then say, I'm already glorified? Because this is the great mystery of the gift and the giver. He has appeared, he is appearing, he shall appear. This is why I can, I can say in my own heart with confidence, Jesus made an appearance to Israel in 87 because he told him he would. He also made an appearance to Paul on the road to Damascus. I don't tell God when Jesus appears. He's made appearances to people across time. I think he's making appearances now. And I think he will appear again. And I think that whatever he's going to accomplish in that advent has already been finished in Christ 
and just needs to see its implementation, its glorification in all of us. Good news. It is both finished and he isn't finished with you. I think that's something. I hope that your Christmas day is full of the glory of the Lord. That you are growing in grace and enjoying the journey. Father, I thank you for every one of those who watch or listen to this word today. Thank you that they have given us a moment of their time. We hope we've honored it by giving them a glimpse at the beautiful Jesus. I pray, Father, that you bless them today, that you prosper their soul. I pray that you are with them as they spend time with friends, with family, or even if they are all alone today, Father. I pray your hands of love and protection be on them and surround them. May we grow in your grace and have fresh revelations of your advent. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless and Merry Christmas.